Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. Monty Belmonte is sneaking wine onto some beach along the bicep of the Cotted Cape, and so I'm flying solo once again. Later in the show, we'll speak with Tammy Denise about bringing history to life on stage this weekend at Historic Deerfield, where she'll be reenacting the life of Elizabeth Freeman for their Juneteenth festivities. Her theater company, Hidden Women, connects with more obscured figures of Black history, and we'll find out who else has been brought to light with their work. We'll hear more about the Belchertown Farmers and Artisans Market, which just opened its season this past weekend, for our local hero segment with CISA, the market's new manager, Kate Bobbin, and Nate Shadow of Shattuck Sugar House and Devon Lane Farm will join us for all things headed to the Belchertown Common through the summer Sundays. And again, Juneteenth is a new-ish holiday to some. We want to hear how you interact with the holiday. Maybe your family has celebrated it before. Maybe this is your first time hearing about it and all the festivities that happen around. Either way, send us an email to thefab413 at nepm.org or text us at 1-800-639-9120. But speaking of the latest federal holiday, in studio right now is Erica Slocum. Erica is a PhD student of Black Studies at UMass Amherst. She has been a student of Professor John Bracey (laughs) since 2010. Her current research focuses on the use of oral histories as a means to empower Black communities, retell the history of communities where Black voices have been obscured, and claiming space in public museums and archives. She is currently working on multiple projects across Massachusetts, including the Black Holyoke Project at Wisteria Hearst, the Lesbians of Color Oral History Project at Historic Northampton, and Recovering New England Voices at Historic New England. She is an artist, mother, and historian of Black history. And on top of all of that, she's organized a Juneteenth celebration at the Wisteria Hearst Museum in Holyoke that will happen on the actual holiday this upcoming Monday. Giant TVs for all the people I bring in this week. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Erica. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So first... I didn't have a chance to do this yesterday, but let's get into the history of Juneteenth, how it came about, what it what it actually celebrates. So Juneteenth is um, June 19th, 1865, which marked the um, I would say like the discovery right of emancipation um, by um, formerly enslaved folks in Galveston, Texas. And um, that date marked for a number of people in this country, across the country, as like the, the date that we were all free, right? This idea that um, none of us are free if any of us are enslaved. And so um, I would say since then, um, that date has been celebrated within the black community. Um, I know that is just now being recognized <laughs> as a national holiday. Um, but I would say that as a black person, <laughs> you know, who's grown up in this country, um, it's been a day that we've celebrated, you know, every year since always, or right. not always, at least um, since 1865. Do you feel like I know that I kind of have slightly mixed feelings about it becoming a federal holiday. How do you feel since the status of the the day has become a little more broad? I think that I always worry about the, commodifi- the commodification of blackness, right? And so um, with the, the start of it being like a federally recognized um, holiday, and even I would say like maybe the year before, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you see in like your Targets and, you know, your Walmarts and your Michaels, you know, like, Um, this commodification of our celebration. And I think that, like, before that, you know, you found, like, either local um, uh, crafters or artists or 
um, you know, even if they're not local, like, you know, like artisans, mm-hmm. creating these things for our celebrations. And now that um, it's been, you know, broadened, which I think is good, right, mm-hmm. for the recognition. I also think that, um, like I said, the I worry about it because of the commodification of things that are sacred to us. Right. I wonder if it's going to go through kind of a similar thing to MLK Day and mm-hmm. On the other end of the spectrum, Cinco de Mayo, mm. like, was the worry at the back of my brain. Like, oh, yay, it's a federal holiday, but also, oh, n- oh no. <laughs> right. Like, what is it going to look like? Right. Right? Yeah. And so far, it's looked good, I feel mm-hmm. like. I would say, like, I've been heartened by the things that are going on, by the celebrations that people are throwing. Like, not just myself and not just my family and people that I know, but, like, in bigger settings, including mm-hmm. yours at the Wisteria Hearst Museum in Holyoke. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about what's going to be happening in Holyoke. So I think it's going to be a really uh, a really good day. <laughs> um, I have my fingers crossed. Um, I think that this is kind of like going off the legacy of my grandmother, Sophia Jeffrey, who passed um, a few years ago now, or actually just a year and a half. Um, and, you know, we every year, um, you know, the Brotherhood in, in Springfield, they organize like huge Juneteenth events every year. Right. And so they're they're having one this year. Um, but that's not my event to shout out. So <laughs> um, um, we're, we're spreading the love around. We are definitely spreading the love around. Um, but I think that um, one of the thoughts was that, you know, we have an um, uh, a, a, uh, exhibit that's opening at the end of the summer. And the last time we had an event um, uh, or an exhibit, so in 2019, in August, we did um, a really big kind of like celebration. Uh, we called it Black in the Garden. Uh, we did it at Wisteria Hearst. And it was a really good opportunity to bring together like um, local black folks who are doing art and, um, um, you know, just the community in Holyoke, right, um, and in Western, across Mass, Western Mass, um, for them to have an opportunity to come out and, like, celebrate and to learn more about, you know, the history in, in Holyoke. And so, you know, this time we're looking to do the same thing, right? So June 19th, Monday, on the holiday, uh, we're at Wisteria Hearst, uh, 238 um, Cabot Street in Holyoke uh, for 1 to 5 p.m. We're going to have music. We're going to have art. We're going to have, um, I think we have, like, five vendors um, right now, um, we're gonna have some food from Fame in Holyoke. Uh, um, yeah, so that's hopefully be they are good. bringing their meatballs. Their meatballs are. I did not organize that, so I can't so tell good. you what it's no, gonna it's look okay. like. No, it's okay. I'm good with surprises. I'm just saying I, yeah, that I have enjoyed their meatballs together. in the past. <laughs> um, <laughs> shout out to Fame. Shout out to them because yeah, so they and they're donating. So this is like a beautiful thing. Um, and and again, just another opportunity for communities to kind of like work together and rely on each other. Um, in these kind of moments where I think it's something that, you know, we're trying to bring to Holyoke that I think, you know, before 2019, um, even for Black History Month, hadn't raised, you know, like the Black National flag, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, and this is no shade to them. It's just that, like, when we're not talking about these histories, like, we don't necessarily know that they exist, right? Um, And so, like, the community showed out, right? Like, they were like, no, the history is here. Um, And this is the community. Like, I was the interviewer, uh, but the community came and they brought their things. And um, even now, I'm working with Doug Griffin, who is um, 
I love to shout him out, but um, <laughs> who is, I'll call him like a Holyoke, black Holyoke historian or just Holyoke historian because he knows everything and everybody. Um, and he's really been helping me and Miss Trudy Munson and Miss um, uh, Diane McCullum, you know, who are elders in the community who are uh, continue to like show up and continue to um, guide me in the work that I'm doing. And so I'll say that it's less about me and the work that I'm doing and more about me being like a vessel or a bridge to just bring that history that already exists. It's already being, you know, cataloged um, in homes like the Westbrook Home in Holyoke, right? And, um, you know, just bringing that out to the public so that we can, you know, collectively understand what that history is and what that looks like. I'm sitting with Erica Slocum, local historian through the Wisteria Hearst Museum in Holyoke. They're throwing a Juneteenth event on Juneteenth from 1 to 5. Let's talk about, you've celebrated Juneteenth before. Mm-hmm. What did it look like before? What from that experience are you bringing to this one? Well, I'll say, like, I think that in those um at those Juneteenth celebrations in Springfield, like, you know, I'm born and raised in Springfield, here in Springfield. And um, I'm a I transplant, think, don't judge me. <laughs> no, no judgment, no judgment at all. Um, but I think those have looked, um, what I'm hoping that this will in some ways like mirror, that it's always just like a bunch of like beautiful black folks, you know, folks from the neighborhood, black or not, you know, like all of us kind of just being together in that space with music, with food, with, you know, again, like local businesses just coming and being this, you know, being in the space and selling their wares and, you know, the kids having the opportunity to like play and, you know, learn a little bit about the history and what it means. And I, and I would say like from a young age, I knew what Juneteenth was. Right. And um I think that that's the thing that I want for the folks who are coming out, right? Is that if we don't, if we just think, oh, it's another, you know, a Monday, we get it off, you know, this year, like that's great. Great. Congratulations. And also, let me give you some of this history. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's not like the price of admission, but it's sort of the price of admission. No, it's definitely the price of admission. So (laughs) get ready when you come. (laughs) Are you planning on doing, like, there's, hmm. There's a bit of what sounds like the continuation of griot culture mm. in some of the histories that you've brought. And we're going to get into more of your work with the history, the oral history of Holyoke in, in a little bit. But it's, I love that there's that tradition that always seems to be maintained in the black community through these these works through these celebrations through like extra holidays that that we know for the people and and trying to like keep that alive Mm -hmm. do you feel connected to like local history and to like our greater history Mm -hmm. through the work that you're doing Oh, for sure. And I think the the thing that's like really interesting is, I mean, anybody who knows me has heard these stories like over and over again. But like the thing that's so beautiful about it is like when I went to Holyoke and I'm doing work in Holyoke, right, folks took me in like no questions. But then as I'm sitting and people are like, who are you? Like, who are your people? Like we realized <laughs> that like my family history is there. Right. Too. And so um, in the work that I did in Hadley, like, um, you know, uh, at, at the Porter Phelps Huntington Museum, you know, it connected back to folks in Holyoke, right? And families in Holyoke. And then, you know, even now being at Historic New England and the work that I'm doing, like I'm seeing how like 
a lot of the history, even when, you know, I'm thinking about and talking about like Watson Tyler, who, you know, moved from Nova Scotia to um, Lincoln, Mass, that like his descendants moved to Springfield, right? And so it becomes like our history. And so like the beautiful thing about it is that we get to talk about it. um, We get to bring it to light. And also we get to make all these really like important, you know, community connections. And I can't stress enough that I think like, like we are big oral storytellers. Like that is our, you know, that is the way that our history is told, right? And the, and the way that our history has been passed because we haven't had in many ways the opportunity to look at other repositories of like public repositories of history and say, okay, I'm going to go and archive my family history there, right? And so someone becomes that, you know, um, so like the reliquary, right? Like that idea of the reliquary is that like that history goes somewhere, right? And it it is held by people and the stories are passed down. And so I think about like the way that it's all connected, no matter how far away I move from Springfield and the work that I'm doing. You know, I've gotten calls from people from California about Holyoke, right? Like I've gotten calls from people from you know, all over the country and in in some instances, even, you know, around the world where people are like, oh, I live here now, but my history is here. And so my family history is here. And so the beauty of it is that, you know, technology allows us to, you know, you know, have that opportunity in ways that we might not have um, otherwise, but also that like the people are ready to tell their stories because they they hold it. And in some cases, like um, I'm, I'm talking a lot, so I apologize, but you're on a radio <laughs> show to talk about um, your work, Erica. I'm just going to say. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to talk. I'm okay. going to talk. So but be prepared. You know what? Yes. I'm going to give you a break. So, okay. like, <laughs> coming up, we'll have more with local historian Erica Slocum. We're going to get into some of the things that she found with all of this work that she's been doing with the oral histories of Holyoke because, y'all, it's fascinating. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith here with local historian Erica Slocum, who has been doing some really fascinating work collecting the oral histories of folks in Holyoke and beyond. Like, you've worked with a lot of historical societies. Mm-hmm. Like, where else besides Hadley and, and Holyoke have you been working with to collect some of these tales? Um, so... Through Historic New England, um, that kind of brings me, you know, across all of New England. But um, actually on Wednesday, I'm going to Lexington Historic Society um, to look at some uh, some documents about a woman that I've been trying to um, track down um, from. Where was she from? She was she lived in Lexington, but originally, I believe, from Maine um, or she has roots in Maine. And so um I'm going to Lexington because like that's the last place that we can find her like documented was in Lexington, Mass. Um, but I'm in Connecticut at Roseland Cottage. Um, Is it always dealing with oral histories or nope. like sometimes just digging to find like certain people who keep popping up? Yeah. Who, who's somebody who's popped up a bunch that that is really cool and neat and connected to the area? I think that... 
I can't think of one. I know. I put you, you know, on like the spot. One no, I was not prepared for that question. <laughs> so I did not come with a list of people. I'm so sorry. Um, you know, I can't think I can't think of one. I think Springfield in general keeps coming up mm-hmm. in part because like I'm not looking for it, but I think that as soon as I see it, I'm like, ooh, like Springfield. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um and so like all roads keep leading back like leading back home. Um, for me, but um, yeah, I can't think. Um, so I'm not to, to your question. Like, it's not just the oral histories. A lot this year, um, over the past two years, I think has been mostly um, apart from the the um, the oral history project in Northampton right now on lesbians of color. Um, a lot of the history has just been archival, right? And so I'm looking at. Um, you know, 18th and 19th century, you know, black folks and, you know, trying to trace them and their families and the things that they did um, and where their families are now even. Um, so um, I know most recently there's been, um, you know, we had written an article at Historic New England about a woman named Isabel Tilly and her great, great granddaughter um gave a call and said some of the information in that article isn't accurate. Oh. And so it's, you know, something that through an oral history, someone else in the family had shared. Um, but she was like, it's not all right. And so she was like, come, you know. So I went to Connecticut, <laughs> went to her house, and she was like, here, look, this is a a letter that my great-great-grandmother, right, in the 1920s, I think, so over 100 years ago, um, maybe 1918, I can't remember the exact date, but... Um, she says, like, look at this. And it was like a letter that her great-great-grandmother had written to her mother when her mother gave birth to her first child, right? And so it's like, this is what we were looking for, right? Mm-hmm. And and her mother had sat down with, you know, Miss Tilly um, and did an oral history interview with her and hand wrote out, like, all the, you know, her her history of, like, how she came here from Virginia, you know, um, on the Underground Railroad, mm-hmm. right, or or through the Underground Railroad, and ended up in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, right? And these are just, like, documents that, you know, that this beautiful human has in her home, right? That she's like, here, let me share them with you. And I'm like, I can't express enough, like, how grateful I am to community because, each time I show up, even when, like, so for Mrs. Tilly, I was like, we're not going to get it done this year because I haven't heard back from the family. So I think what we have now is what we're going to have. And then she just Googled, you know, her great-grandmother and was like, oh, like, let me reach out to you. And, you know, like, so we can do this, so we can work together to to fix this the history of my family. And so I think that's what it is, is that I'm like, I'm here let me let me help in whatever way that I can. Like let us work together so that we can do this, you know, so we can bring out this history and we can do it in a way that is accessible and not just for us, mm-hmm. right? But also, you know, when I think about family lines ending, right? And, you know, sometimes that history, right, in the case of Mrs. Tilly, you know, that a few generations removed, like there are no children that come next, right? Right. And so it's like, well, what happens at that point when, not to be like super dramatic, but like when bloodlines end and family stories stop having the opportunity to be passed down. And I think that that's where people like me can step in and step up and say like, what what do you need from me? And how can I, how can I support you in preserving your family history? 
Um, You're not and doing much for my it. terrible habit of hanging on to way too many things, but I'm working on it. I know what's important to keep. No, I have. Yeah. I, when my grandmother passed, I went to her house and I have like bins full of oh, things from her house. You it too. is a problem. It's a I'm pain. like, no, this is historical. Like, and they we pick might you too. This. Like my grandma. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they pick you too. And you end up being the one that ends up archiving the mm-hmm. whole house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so clearly not every community is doing a Juneteenth celebration. Not to bring us back to the reason no, that, but please. that like, yeah, your Juneteenth celebration, of course, is happening on Juneteenth at the Wisteria Hearst Museum in Holyoke. But what advice would you have to other communities who are maybe thinking about it, who didn't have the means or the connections to mm. do it this year? Like, how would somebody go about maybe throwing their own? I would say to reach out to the Black Chamber of Commerce, right? Like most places have one. Um, and and or, or if they don't, there are, you know, NAACP or, you know, um, other organizations that when I can't stress enough that most black folks have been celebrating this holiday for a number of years. Right. It's not new for us. And so as institutions look to kind of like bring that out to their communities, I would say to um Look back at newspaper articles, right? Like do a little archival research and see like who's had them before and how can we support? Not just saying like, um, okay, we're going to have a Juneteenth celebration because this is a thing now, right? right? But, But being intentional about like how, if you're wanting to support the community, right? And that's what this is about. If you're wanting to celebrate freedom and wanting to celebrate this history, then look to the folks who... Um, either have been doing this or that this is important to them because folks are out there. And so I think um, I always say, like, don't try to reinvent the wheel, right? Um, Especially in situations where, like, again, like our culture right now is in, Mm -hmm. right? And so always has been. Always has been. (laughs) Always has been. But I think that, you know, like right now is a moment where it's being like so... Um, and I'm appreciative of it, so I don't want to, you know, like knock it. But I think that we have these cycles where the general population is like, ooh, black people, what are they doing? <laughs> this is great. You know what I mean? Like, let's talk about it. And so I think that, like, black people have been black peopling. And so, like, look to the community. <laughs> Sorry. That was beautiful. Um, look to the community and say, like, how do we support, right? Because if there's an institution that has, has, you know, access to money or access to space, like at Wisteria Hearst, right? Like, they have the access to these resources. So if you have access to these resources, then turn to your community and say, we would like to partner with you. Not, we would like to do this for you, (laughs) but we would like to partner with you in in efforts towards this celebration of freedom, right? And what does that look like for you all? And so again, does that look like financial resources if we have them does that look like space if if we have access to that does that look like all we can provide is food or that's all that they're asking for um but you know like stay in your lane and and turn to your community partners and say like how how can I support you as opposed to saying like how can we do this new fun and exciting thing like (laughs) because again I can't stress enough that it's not new for us Mm -hmm. you know and so I think that would be my um, my advice to people in community is to go into the community and be intentional about, like, be genuine about, like, not just because, like, we feel like we should be doing this, 
because like, ugh, like it's a national holiday and we have to show our support and we have to be, you know what I mean? Right. Like, but that in, we are intentional about wanting to build relationships and genuine about wanting to build relationships and partner with people and be okay with people saying no. And if they say no and, and they're like, you know, I don't think that that is your place, then be okay with that. And again, if you can offer something else, even if it's a connection, you know, to, to another organization that can provide support then be that because that that's also needed. Perfect. Erica Slocum, local historian, throwing a Juneteenth celebration at Wisteria Hearst. Thank you so much. When your oral history of lesbians of color in Northampton is over, we are absolutely going to talk again. Okay. I'm here for it. <laughs> Coming up, the story of Elizabeth Freeman gets brought to life through theater company Hidden Women at Historic Deerfield this weekend. We'll be joined by Tammy Denas to find out more about the piece and other figures the company brings to light. And next, we meet the new manager of one of the few Sunday farmers markets in the area. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, homegrown in Hatfield, Massachusetts, and providing energy savings for their customers for over 10 years. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. Time for our local hero spotlight with Phil Corman from CESA and Katie Bobbin from the Belchertown Farmer's Market and Nate Shattuck of Shattuck Sugar Cows and Devon Lane Farm. Thanks for joining me in our off week where I get to be alone. The Belchertown Farmer's Market just opened on June 11th. Yes. How did it go? <laughs> it went great. Wonderful. We had a great crowd. Couldn't have asked for better weather. <laughs> Why does the Belchertown Farmer's Market open so late in the season? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with vendor availability and veggie availability. Everything needs time to grow, so we want to be ready. What I love about the market is that it's on Sunday, and there's something I think kind of sweet about a farmer's market on a Sunday, (laughs) because people are just moseying on over, and everyone has turned down their tempo, and there's only a couple of Sunday farmer's markets in the valley. I think the others are East Hampton and and then there's one at a church in Springfield. Yeah, the Sunday vibe is really nice. <laughs> is the Sunday vibe one of the things that encouraged you to bring more businesses into the mix? Because I think it, you have a really strong mixture of farms and local businesses in your particular market that isn't necessarily seen in other places. Yeah, our official title is the Belchertown Farmers and Artisans Market. Oh, hey, it's in the title. Hey! <laughs> Convenient so, that. We strive really hard Um, as an organization to strike a balance between farmers and artisans with value-added products. You know, definitely not forgetting we're a farmer's market, Mm -hmm. but also everybody's welcome. (laughs) And this is your first year doing it? How how do you feel now that the first one is over? Um, Now that the first one is over, I'm feeling a little less anxious about it. (laughs) Glad that the first one is, is over and under my belt. I bring a lot of varied experience to the table. So it felt great starting from experience and working with longtime vendors, working with the established board, but then bringing everything that I have to the table. So it was great. 
I heard in a lobby sometime far away <laughs> that your background is in HR. Does some of that help with organizing yes. something as large as the the Belchertown Farmers and Artisans Market? 100%. Um, as HR, you have to be very organized, very detailed with record keeping and the human <clears throat> component, keeping everybody together and pulling for the same goal. Nate Shattuck, you're involved in the Belchertown Farmers Market. I am. You are. Which of which of your farm endeavors or both in farm endeavors are are there and and sell things? Yes, yes. What uh, things do you sell? We've been involved <laughs> in the market for twenty plus years. Uh, my mother was a pioneer in building our display and you know the uh, the repeat clientele and everything like that. Um, we also we grow our own veggies and and provide them you know, farm-to-table products along with the maple syrup uh, and all the maple syrup products. And we provide the maple cotton candy for the kids. Yay. And uh, And adults. And adults. adults. (laughs) As an adult who is a big fan of maple cotton candy, and not everybody does it, but when it's there, it's the best. And I have to stop myself from buying more bags than I really need to take home. Well, I know know where you can get some. (laughs) (laughs) We've got the hookup. (laughs) It's been a wonderful market for, uh, you know, it started back in 1982, and I think it's grown from two or three vendors to now well over 30. And that said, I, you know, you spoke on it before, the Sunday vibe, um, the ag tourism, this market speaks sustainability. It's, you know, just growth in agriculture and supporting local business, buying local, you know, between the variety of vendors that are at this market, it's a nice place to come. How many vendors were at the market when your family started going? I think there was four or five. And now the market takes up easily a third of the common. When they started, I think I got a little history. Uh, the mini family started and there was, I think, three vendors at the end of the parking lot. <laughs> wow. The business environment was a lot different back in the 80s than it is today. There's maybe, Phil, you can comment on this, but the ag tourism part of things, people want to go and see what the local farms have got. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so important for these markets to have commerce available and a place. I mean, the, the farmers to have a place to market their products on time, fresh. Mm-hmm. And so you asked about the timing of the market, why it was late. I don't consider it to be late in the sense that summer veggies and fresh is best. It's mm-hmm. So on time is everything when it comes to what you have. And I think the other part for folks who have not ever gone to a farmer's market is that you actually get to talk to people who grow the food. And they oftentimes have their favorite ways of preparing it, and they know that they harvested it that morning. So whatever you're buying is going to just last a long time. Yeah. One of my favorite parts about interacting with customers at farmer's markets is when people come up and are like, what do you do with the celeriac? (laughs) (laughs) What are these garlic scape things? (laughs) Um, Working at a farm, you learn how to use all of the vegetables. Mm -hmm. I particularly love the garlic scape question, which I think just keeps reappearing yes. in in new places like like popping up like almost like weeds and plants themselves in new spots yes. being asked by new folks yes as people <laughs> discover the the garlics oh here it is again what do i do with hakurei turnips you eat them, eat them. just with salt <laughs> they're delicious yes 
and then take the tops and put them in salad. I'm sorry, but I always like to talk about maple syrup because I produce well over two gallons in my backyard. All right. And I'm curious, how was the maple syrup season for you this uh, past year? The maple year? syrup season this year was amazing. Um, it was it was it was interesting because of the, the lack of winter that we had, but at the same time, the the production levels and and everything. Uh, you know, we have about 1,100 taps on. Uh, That's only a hundred times what I have. Just to <laughs> be clear. so we're running neck and neck on this. Phil's out here to give you a run on the yeah. maple market. Look out for the competition. <laughs> we produced around a three hundred gallons or so of, of syrup. We provide syrup year round to uh, local restaurants. Local. Uh, we had a brewery this spring made a beer with our syrup. Oh, cool! Uh, Vanish Valley in Ludlow. You know they made a they made a beer. We had a, an event and an inaugural event this year called the Sugar Fest. We brought in a local band. We brought in Austin's Farm Burgers, who's another vendor at the market. We brought in Arita. Arita, I, I can't Kitrogi. pronounce her last name, and I apologize. <laughs> but she had pierogies, galumpkies, and meat pies. In March, it's kind of a, a gamble as to weather-wise, whether people will come out. We had no idea. We had, uh, we estimate about 500 people showed up in the pouring rain and the snow. <laughs> and, a true New England We're event. dedicated. <laughs> was, now, I think next time you need to let them know they can come on Sundays, and there usually is not snow at the Belchertown mm-hmm. Farmers Market. But that's, that's a right. whole like three months later. You gotta right. get a you get a taste of the product at the Sugar Fest, might. and then you you're ready and prepared for when the farmers market starts. Yeah. You're hungry for market season. Exactly. <laughs> and I think that the same vibe applies to this market. You know, everybody likes that local local feel, the local atmosphere, and being able to get farm to table products fresh. Like from the field. That's key. You know, you, some of these metropolises that you go to, you know, that's day old, two days old. We have a mecca of vegetables here in the Pioneer Valley, and it's, it's available right here at the Common on Sundays. Sundays, 10 to 2. <laughs> <laughs> that's Katie Bobbin, <laughs> manager of the Belchertown Farmers Market, who we're speaking with for our CISA Local Hero segment, and Nate Shattuck of Shattuck Sugar House. I know it's your first year mm. with the Farmers Market, but what are your, some of your favorite things to see? That have, that have appeared on the Belchertown Green as part of the farmer's market. Yeah, for sure. Um, one of my favorite things is maple products. Another thing that I'm quite partial to are gluten-free cookies. <laughs> so it's a little self-serving to have a couple of vendors that have gluten-free options. Um, but I love plants, fresh veggies. I have a little bit of a farming background, too, so there's a special place in my heart for farmers, and I love fresh veggies. I think they're beautiful. They are. It's artwork. It is. It's art from the ground. It is. (laughs) It's It's really cool. We have a vendor that has homemade dog treats, a vendor that makes soap and lotion and jewelry you can get at the market. So just covering all just the covering all, all sorts the bases. of bases. And scarves and, yeah. and um, coffee. What, cookies. I should have said coffee first. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and Scones. come get a burger. So, so here we are. It's mid-June, mm. right? And so what, what is starting to come out of the ground that we're seeing at the Belcher Tile Market? Strawberries. Rhubarb, radishes, gorgeous, asparagus. gorgeous stuff, asparagus. Only got a couple more weeks to get asparagus, yeah. too, so get in on it when you're able yes. to get in on it. So I'm wondering, we talked a little bit before, and I asked you, so do you think there might be music at any point? And you sort of revealed something about your childhood, <laughs> and, which I thought was pretty fun. <laughs> sure. 
Are you talking about how I grew up with two musician parents? Who played? Who played trumpet. Both of them. Both of them. In the house? Oh, yes. At the same time? Oh, yes. Oh, my. How are your ears? Um, I'm noticing now that I'm a little older, I'm getting a little deaf. (laughs) It's like secondhand smoke. It's secondhand music. And now I'm regretting. Earlier you were asking me my background. I'm like, oh, I have a degree in music. And I just imagine like a small flinch on your part. Yes. No, no, my parents met at UMass as music majors. Isn't that adorable? I played trumpet for 25 years. And I play trumpet now. For real? (laughs) Wow. So... Yes, so so much music at the Belchertown Farmer's Market. Next week, my partner, Derek Bridges, who is a musician, is playing more music, more local music. If you are a local musician, please contact us. We have spots to fill. We want to fill the common with music. Now, just because I am in a band that is excessively large, is there a limit to how big the band can be that shows up to play? Absolutely not. My parents also (laughs) can conduct two different community bands in the area, and they are approaching 100 people, and they're invited. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> yes. Earplugs for vendors. Yes. For vendors. Um, we can enjoy the music as you've walked through the market, gotten something to eat, and then Grab an ice it. cream. Yes. <laughs> grab an ice cream, grab a burger, go enjoy the music. Have some cotton candy. Cotton candy. Nate Chaddock, how has you seen the market itself change over the years? It has grown, you know, from a very, very localized group of people, you know, from the town that started this back in the 80s to now vendors that are a variety of offerings from soup to nuts. Really, there's spices there now, too. Spices. Yes. So it's something you want to come and spend an hour or you want to spend 10 minutes. It's it's worth the trip every time because there's different stuff every time. Not every vendor has the same offering every day. And being only once a week, it's a great time to visit, bring your dog. And the market takes snap and hip? We do. Um, We are thrilled to be able to offer that to our customers thrilled. I love that that's becoming a much more regular thing. Is this the first year that you're offering hip this and snap? Is the second year. This is the first year that we're really focusing on hip, which is awesome. That actually adds money back to snap customers' cards. If you have snap, you have hip, come to the market tent. If you have questions, I will answer all your questions. <laughs> and so CISA has been working with every market that is interested in taking SNAP and HIP. Sadly, as hard as it is sometimes for someone to use those programs, it's hard for farmer vendors sometimes also to provide those. So we try to help make it easier so every farmer vendor and market who wants to participate in SNAP can. Yeah, that's CISA has been a vital link in that process, just helping get resources to us and helping customers get resources and getting the word out. We support each other, Mm -hmm. and I think that's the vibe. That's great. It might even be in the name of the organization Community hey! Invest in Sustaining Agriculture. Yeah. I'm a yoga teacher, too. <laughs> Why don't we have a yoga class? I know. I want to have a yoga class so bad, but I need to. I'll attend. Okay, great. Um, so you're looking to make looking... maybe having yoga classes at the farmer's market. Yeah, maybe. I need a volunteer to help cover my market manager duties for about an hour if you're interested. I teach one-hour Kripalu-style yoga classes. Maybe coming to the common. Can, <laughs> can baby animals come also? Oh, God, yes, please. Yes. All baby animals, yes. welcome. 
If you want to see yoga classes at the Belchertown Farmer's Market, maybe send an email to Katie Bobbin, who is yes. the manager at the Belchertown Farmer's Market. We've been here with her and Nate Shattuck of Shattuck Sugar House and Devon Lane Farm and Phil Corman from CESA. Thank you so much for stopping in. Go and get your vegetables and your maple products on Sundays in Belchertown. 10 to Thank 2. You. 10, 10 to 2. two. Thank you for having us. Up next, Discovering the Women Obscured by History with Tammy Denise as her company prepares to tell the tale of Elizabeth Freeman at Historic Deerfield as part of their Juneteenth celebrations. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. The mission of Hidden Women LLC is to educate, motivate, inspire, and challenge the imagination of others to not only set goals, but strive to achieve them. Through historical theater, Hidden Women LLC helps individuals to overcome obstacles through the stories of hidden historical figures, often left out of America's rich and vast history. And on Monday for Juneteenth, they'll bring the story of Elizabeth Freeman to historic Deerfield. We're joined by Tammy Denise, who will be performing this one-woman show. Welcome, Tammy, to The Fabulous 413. Hello. Thank you for having me. (laughs) No problem. So... I think it's a really interesting juxtaposition to do these shows of spectacular black women as one woman shows. What was the impetus for this? Um, simply put as a transplant, don't judge. I'm originally from Mississippi <laughs> and in the South, um, everything you've heard about Mississippi is true and then some. But the one thing I can say about Mississippi is the educational system was ahead of the um education system here in the northeast when i moved here they actually wanted to skip me two grades that's how advanced it was so although sometimes you think of mississippi you think of it as this backwards place it was actually on point with the education but when i moved to the northeast uh, they were only teaching about three people and we know who those three people are <laughs> Martin Luther king frederick douglas and harriet tubman and i often wondered what about the others um of course in mississippi we knew who mlk was he was very good friends with medgar evers but in mississippi medgar was the hero it wasn't mlk but nobody knew who medgar evers was when i when i got here so i was kind of like befuddled by that it's like what do you mean you don't know who Medgar is and so I asked my sixth grade teacher who was a black woman I said when are we going to talk about Medgar when are we going to talk about Marion when are we going to talk about Bessie and all these others and she told me that I had to go to the library and it immediately made me sad for my classmates because I have a very active imagination but my classmates the chances of them going to the library is probably next to none so that I think that was actually the seed that was planted to get me started later on that's wicked cool. <laughs> I will say that, like, so I grew up in Boston and was in Metco, and I kind of had the equivalent of that, where, like, all mm-hmm. the kids, we were bust in, bust out, rather, mm-hmm. and all the bust out kids got black history classes, but the rest of the kids did not, which uh-huh. is a whole other situation, a whole not related <laughs> topic. But we're talking about Elizabeth Freeman, whose life you're going to bring to the stage at Historic Deerfield on Juneteenth, Tammy Denise. What about her story made you want to tell it? 
Um, well, I had never heard of her and I was doing another performance of my Amistad lady, Sarah Magu, and I was in Litchville and I get home and I get an email the next day. I get an email and I was like, have you heard of Elizabeth Freeman, Elizabeth Mumbet Freeman? And I'm like, no. And I was headed into Massachusetts to the school system to do Sarah Magu. And after my performance, the librarian says to me, have you ever heard of Elizabeth Mumbert Freeman? So within two hours, I heard this woman's name and I had never heard of her before. So I said, okay, I need to find out who she is. And the minute I read the book, uh, one, um, one, one Minute of Free Woman uh, by Jana Lays and Anne Elizabeth Barnes, I realized that, okay, I have to tell her story because we don't know about her. And that is how I actually got started because I'd heard her name twice in two hours where I had never heard of it before. So that's really how I got started with telling her story. That one minute of freedom, what does that refer to? That is actually speaking about, it tells the story of her life. It's a um, child's book and it tells the story of Elizabeth um, Mombet's life. And um, that was a phrase that she said, if any time, any time, if one minute of freedom was offered to me, I would take it just to stand one minute on God's earth, a free woman, I would. So that's, it comes from her actual saying. That's beautiful and makes it even more in conjunction with Juneteenth, with the uh, holiday of freedom and celebrating our freedoms thereof. Who are some of the other people that you have brought to life on the stage? Uh, Elizabeth Keckley, um, Bessie Coleman, let's start back up. Bessie uh, Coleman was the Bessie very Coleman. first person I ever <laughs> um, brought to the stage. Um, I always said the only difference between Bessie and myself was the, the um, time period. I always, <laughs> in Columbus, there's the um, Columbus Air Force Base and the Columbus Airport. So I would literally sit outside and look up to um, be far away from the racism that I was experiencing. Because I grew up during the time when Fannie Lou Hamer was still alive. I remember mm. seeing her on television. I knew cross burnings were happening. Racism was very bad. And I always wanted to be up high in the sky. And that way, no one, it, we were all equal up there. So it was Bessie Coleman, then Elizabeth Keckley. She's dressmaker to Mary Todd Lincoln. And I actually last year got to do an ensemble cast of her story where I got to hire six actors to tell her entire story, which was beautiful because as a one woman show, there's only so much you can do. Right. But when you have an actual cast, <laughs> you can do so much more. And so I got to do that last year and it was wonderful. So I'm actually going to turn all of my women into ensemble cast at some point. Oh, really? um, Elizabeth Keckley, yes, Sarah Margu, uh, Joan Jackson, Elizabeth Montbet Freeman. Um, who else? There's a couple of others in there. And I have three of them in um, pre-production that I'm researching to um, bring to the stage as well. So that's what I plan to. And, because, and the reason I want to do them as ensemble cast because the stories aren't about me. Mm -hmm. And I want to move behind the scenes so that the legacies of these stories can continue. And so by me going behind the scenes and passing on to the next generation, these stories will continue to go unhidden and they'll be out in front. Is there something easier or smoother about bringing their stories to stage and like telling them orally as opposed to, you know, writing a paper or writing like for a journal about these women in history? 
I think bringing them to the stage makes much more of an impact because, again, if um, the way history has been taught is facts and figures, and that's boring to most people. I always had an active imagination because I got to know my great-grandmother. She was formerly enslaved. She lived to be 125. My grandmother lived to be 107. So I'm literally three generations away from enslavement. So I was always able to actively visual visualize what it was like back then. My great-grandmother used to tell us the story of the little bighorn, and she would tell us how uh, when the great surrender came through in May of 1863 in Columbus, Mississippi, that she fed the horses and the soldiers. So she would plant these pictures for us. She would tell us these stories. So I was always um, with the active imagination, if you will. Now, um, to bring them to life is much more impactful because now people can see that it is beyond facts and figures that they were real people they had real lives so that's why from page to stage is so important is there something particularly singular to bringing it to historic deerfield this juneteenth the story of elizabeth freeman um i i think it's really important to tell her story because there's a little controversy about her Mm -hmm. in regards to others telling her story and that she didn't have a say and i don't think that's accurate because on her headstone it says she had no equal in life even though she was illiterate couldn't read or write elizabeth mombet freeman had her own agency and her attitude was I may be a slave, but you will still respect me. So she did not allow her lot in life to beat her down. She always knew she was she was a human being and she was not going to she was not going to accept anything less. And so some of the controversy is who's telling her story, whether we should be calling her mom better or not. Mm -hmm. And my attitude and um, my research and everything is that. Yeah, she would still allow people to call her mom bet because once you do her research, she was a woman with, that was well respected. So she no longer wanted to be called mom bet. She would have told you, just call me Elizabeth Freeman. And mom bet is a sign of respect because her enslaved name was Bet. But when she went to the Sedgwick household, which was Theodore Sedgwick helped her to get her emancipation, the children called her mom and they called her mom bet as a sign of of respect. And if you do research, you will understand in certain cultures, mom and ma'am is a sign of respect. So there's nothing disrespectful about calling her mom bet. Definitely call her Elizabeth Freeman because that's the name she chose August 17th, 19, 19, woo, 17, <laughs> August 21st, 1783. Wow. Right yeah, she gets those dates a little twisted. But um, so, yeah, that is why I love to tell her story. But I also like to give the backdrop. And as a historian, it is important to know those things. Fantastic. You can see Tammy Denise's one woman performance as Elizabeth Freeman at the historic at Historic Deerfield on Monday. Juneteenth. Thank you for joining us. Wednesday on the Fabulous 413, we get into nautical phrases. We are going to talk to Empress Bennu of Moving Mountains about the Juneteenth celebrations in Greenfield. And we'll talk with Mrs. Anderson, stepsister to Robert Jordan Johnson, that Robert Johnson. See you tomorrow. <laughs>